Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Hot on the heels of the massive success of Skyfall, Daniel Craig eventually returned as Bond. Also coming back were director Sam Mendes, and after many, many years' absence, Blofeld in Spectre Part 2. You're a hard man to kill, Blofeld. My wounds will heal. What about yours? Look around you, James. Look. This is what's left of your world. Everything you ever stood for. Everything you believed in. A ruin. Why are we here? Did you miss me? No. But I know someone who does. Where is she? It's for you to find out. In three minutes, this building will be demolished. Well, I can get out easily. You have a choice. Die trying to save her, or save yourself and live with the pain. You're bluffing. 
am I? <laughs> I've really put you through it, haven't I? What's well, brothers for you? They always know which buttons to press. Trevor Baxendale here on Spectre. Um, full disclosure, I didn't really like Spectre when it came out. The Blofeld situation, the final third of the film, it didn't fit right for me. But something made me keep coming back to this film because there were good, solid parts and I wanted to seek out what was standing in the way of me enjoying the latest James Bond film in full. And then I realised I was trying to impose my concept of Blofeld and Spectre on Daniel Craig's Bond of the kind of thing that we as fans knew about Blofeld and what he should be. But in the Daniel Craig Bond universe, that really didn't matter. It exists separately and independent from anything that's gone before. So this was Blofeld now, Franz Oberhauser, the estranged, deranged son of the man who took the young James Bond in for a couple of years after Bond was orphaned. And once I'd accepted that, I found that the film clicked into place. I wasn't trying to resist it anymore. I was embracing it. And I'm glad I did. Because Spectre is Craig's most Bond Bond film. It's full of confidence. A clever, cool, resourceful secret agent from start to finish. In fact, this is the only Craig Bond film where he wins. Blofeld is defeated. Everyone who matters is still alive even Monica Bellucci's tragically beautiful Donna Luisa. And Bond even gets the girl driving off in complete satisfaction in a refurbished DB5 to the triumphant strains of the James Bond theme. And the set pieces are marvellous too. Beautifully filmed, extravagant, pure Bond. The pre-titles is just a delicious tour de force. That walk along the ledge is iconic. And the race between two supercars through Midnight Rome is thrilling and incredibly beautifully shot. I love the reveal of Spectre too, the sinister, secretive organisation that has stayed and played in the shadows for so long. It's not a 60s acronym, but just a word for ghost or phantom, something unseen, unknown but frightening. Something, it turns out, that's been haunting James Bond for a long time. And he, I think, is this film's greatest strength. Daniel Craig's smooth, cool, amused turn as 007 at the top of his game. Sam Mendes and his star set out to make a different Bond film to Skyfall, one that celebrates the romance and fun of the character. And I think they succeeded. In fact, I think they made not just a different film to Skyfall, but a better one. So I have just watched Spectre. Yet again, I come out of this film so conflicted. If I had to describe this film, it would be a missed opportunity. I think there's so many good elements to this film and so many Bondian things that happen in it. It does feel to me the most traditional in parts to a lot of, to the Craig era. And yet it makes these bizarre choices throughout that just leave me frustrated with the film. It's like there is a really good film in there somewhere, and yet I just don't understand the choices made by the filmmaker. 
one clear one is the filter that the cinematographer obviously puts on. It's a beautifully shot film, and then this horrible filter is put throughout it. And I know that on Twitter, Tom Mason has done a, a remastering of the shots. And the Mexico City pre-title sequence just looks absolutely beautiful when the filter's taken off. I don't understand why that has been done. The main criticism I would have in terms of choices is Spectre itself. I think, um, I wonder if the, if, the, if the producers just got too excited with the idea of winning the rights to Spectre, calling the film Spectre, and then the, casting um, Christoph Waltz as Franz Oberhauser, but making it very clear this is Franz Oberhauser, it's not Blofeld. Even though Christoph Waltz was by far and away the most obvious choice for Blofeld. And it's not just the fact that they chose to try and disguise it, it's how they approached Spectre in this film. I think firstly to include, to try and retcon the previous films... Not so much Casino and um, Quantum. I think there's absolutely value for there. But the whole silver thing from Skyfall feels like a mission on its own, something completely individual, and should have been left by that. To me, the way to have approached this film would have been to see if you were going to make Christoph Waltz Oberhauser to become Blofeld... I'd have thought the best way to do this would have been a becoming Blofeld kind of film. So have Oberhauser as the head of Quantum, and or one of the heads of Quantum, and see him perform a coup that basically, by the end of the film, he became Blofeld. Instead, what we get is we get this contrived idea that everything that's happened in the Craig year is because Christoph Waltz had daddy issues and was jealous of James Bond being his stepbrother, which, as we all know, was used as a parody years before in Austin Powers' Gold Member. And I think that this is one of the things, is that when you look at the start of this film, there's clearly just too many writers on board, and there isn't a clear thread going through the film. It's, it's, it's a case of too many cooks spoil the broth. You've got uh, John Logan, Jez Butterworth, and then Purvis and Wade, and I'm quite sure there's a lot of uncredited writers on this as well. And there just seemed to be no conviction over what this film is supposed to be. And I think another massive example of that is the third act, because the third act falls off a cliff. I mean, it's really building up quite nicely throughout the film, and... The end, again, is just so small. It comes back to a single thing of a personal aspect of trying to make James Bond unhappy. When we're talking about Spectre, world domination, and the plot is actually, their, their plan is just around intelligence. I understand that that's probably quite relevant to the world today, but we never see Spectre perform any of these evil evil outcomes we just hear about them on the news in fact the only thing that we see that's relatively evil Spectre is the mr Hinks scene and i will talk about mr Hinks in it because i think he is brilliant but there is no we never see any of that kind of all right there's torture scene with craig 
But even in that, Blofeld is just rabbiting on her so much and it doesn't bring the tension it should do. And when we think of Blofeld, I, I, I think of the Thunderball execution scene. I think of him pressing the button so someone slips into a piranha pool. I think of the one the, from Russia with Luz scene where we all think that Rosa Klebb's going to be killed and it's actually um, Kronstein that is killed. And we have none of that aspect of Blofeld. And I find that really baffling because in a lot of ways, this film is incredibly respectful of the past James Bond films. It feels the most Bondian in terms of M's office, very traditional in that way. We go into Q branch and there is very much a modern interpretation of Q branch there. I think Daniel Craig gives a I think I've underrated his performance actually in a lot of ways. He's incredibly relaxed in the role. I'm not sure it always works, but it's, there's touches of Roger Moore with the jokes. I'm thinking like the Fiat 500 crashing into the bollard and the airbag coming up and those kind of falling onto a chair. And regardless if you like that or not, there is definitely some kind of respect to the past. But then on the big decisions like the Spectre and the Blofeld, they get it so wrong. Madeline Swan's an interesting one. I think she's a decent character, but I just don't buy from what we see that Bond would quit his job and just leave with her. There is not the chemistry that there is with Vesper Lind. And it, to me, that seems incredibly contrived. It's a very big frustration in the film Another aspect that really grates on me, and this is a plot point, but the Mr. White scene, which is actually a brilliant scene, I really like that scene. Uh, really great dialogue, and yeah, really good scene. Um, why did Bond not turn off the security cameras or turn off the videos after he left? If his sole mission is to protect um, Madeline Swan, and he sees, he makes a point of looking at the video cameras before. So he understands that, you know, there is surveillance going on. He'd heard in the Spectre boardroom that um, Mr. White is in Altersea. So he knows that they're coming after him. So why on earth would Bond leave those cameras on or let that video play out so Mr. Hinkson can re-watch that and then go to Madeline's one? and find where she is. Now, granted, because because Blofeld Preet later shows the video of, of Mr. White's death, it may be that he has surveillance anyway. But we're not to know that. It makes a point is that Bond's just doing some poor spy work again. But having said that, he does a lot of great spy work in this. Firstly, the pre-title sequence. Absolutely sensational. I think one of the criticisms that some of the lads on the Really 007 pod have had previously is, is that... We're not immersed in a world so much in the Craig era when we go to these places. And I think Shanghai in Skyfall is a prime example of that. Here in Mexico City, this is completely immersed in a world. We're immersed in the Day of the Dead um, festival. It's the culture of Mexico. And Bond is completely in the middle of it. And it's a brilliant pre-title sequence. Uh, I love the battle with Skiara. I love the stunt with the helicopter. Not so bothered about the single shot views. I think that's take it or leave it. But there is so much to, to go at there. Um, and I think it's a brilliant action scene. 
I quite like the snow stuff in Altersea. I don't think Sam Mendes is the greatest at shooting action. I think the idea of Bond driving a broken plane down snow to crash into um, into Hinks's car and save Madeline Swan is a very very Bondian thing. It's Bond against the odds. It's, and even when he crashes through the wooden thing, it feels very much like the Living Daylights when Bond's driving through the um, driving with the the shed on top of him. It's very Bondian. But I don't think it's shot that well, so you don't have that great sense of geography. I was, I'm thinking if John Glenn was directing this, we'd be just completely focused on the plane. There'd be no back and forth shot. We just want to see the action because that is the centre point. So I think the idea is great, but the execution isn't brilliant. And the other criticism of that scene is, is the score. That is the most Bondian thing that happens in this film. Get the Bond music on. Show that only James Bond would drive a broken plane down a ski slope. But sorry, I was trying to be some positive. The locations are great. Mexico, Altersea, great to see Tangiers again. These are Bondian locations, really like them. Love the stuff in Morocco, love the train. The train has very classic Connery elements to it. And the fight with Mr. Hinks is the best fight in the Craig era for me. You have a complete sense of what's going on. It, the focus is on the fight. It's not too fast and frenetically shot that you can't see what's happening. It's brilliant. It uses the surroundings as weapons, and that is great as well. And it finishes with a nice comedy comedy kind of moment with um, Mr. Hinks, which very reminiscent of, say, Jaws on the Train in Spy You Love Me, or, or even Teehee in Live and Let Die. It's a comedy moment. And I really, really like that. I'm not so fan, fond of the, the extra comedy element of then, what should we do now? And then the, the theme tune comes on and they make out. But, you know, again, there's a great moment there. But this film is not, it's lesser than the sum of its parts. And ultimately, that's because of the choices that it makes with Blofeld and Spectre. Supporting cast are good, possibly used too much. Q's out in the field, I've not got a problem with that. You know, Desmond Llewellyn went out in the field and he goes out in the field because he wants, he's worried for his job, I like that. Um, Tanner, he's okay. I don't like the idea of all of them um, sneaking off at the end. It's a bit too Scooby-Doo, it's the Scooby gang kind of thing. Avengers Assemble. And really, there's not really a plot, is it? It's just a one-man saving mission. I mean, all right, they're trying to stop C's, um Nine Eyes thing, Five Guys, whatever it's called. But at the end of the day, even if that went live, the minute that they know the connections to Blofeld, that's going to be shut down anyway. It's very small-centred again. Another great thing is Monica Bellucci. And another disappointing thing is just that it's nothing more than a cameo and she should be used more in the scene. And I think that this is my frustration throughout the film, is, is that there's loads to like. I don't find it a bad watch. I do enjoy it. I just think it's a very, very poor script with the choices that it makes. Rome, the car chase, the idea of doing a big car chase around the whole of a city on paper should be good should be exhilarating but the director chooses to put exposition in the middle of it with money penny talking about mr white 
if you've got a big fast-paced action car scene make that the focus and it's just these things add up but having said all that i've come to the point where whilst i'm very frustrated with some of the things in it i've learned to accept it for what it is and i quite like it i think it's it's number 22 on my list it's just above die another day i do think it's a a better film than die another day but what frustrates me about this film is firstly what it could have been with some better choices of the script and secondly the damage it does do to the previous craig film and arguably the springboard that the choices that has made for no time to die which is an abomination of a film and for that i don't think i can rank it any higher but yet again i've just got to say that i enjoyed it when i watched it today so thanks for listening to my ramblings that's just raw that's just come straight from watching it i look forward to hearing everybody else's hi i'm rob i'm simon and i'm james we want to talk about those movies those supposedly bad movies those movies that bombed to see if they weren't that bad after all join us every other tuesday on the for your reconsideration podcast part of the pod dojo podcast network You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and all your usual podcast apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. (laughs) It's like it's free. (laughs) It's just like it's free. (laughs) Hey, it's Sam. I've just come back from seeing Spectre. It's actually two days after I recorded my pre-Spectre watch thoughts. Um... It's a story. But um, yeah, anyway, so I got to see Spectre after work today. I like Spectre. <laughs> I said it, um, I've been doing these social media posts now every every week after seeing a Bond film. And I wanted to open up this this one with that I liked it because a lot of people don't like it. And although I get it, I think there's still a lot to like about the film. I don't put it high in my ranking at all, but... To me, like, it's better than Quantum. It's better than Dying of a Day. I can say that quite clearly and quite confidently from my point of view anyway. Um, I think it gets some things right. I think it gets elements of classic Bond in there which haven't been seen in the Craig era. And to me, it's not jarring. It feels like a natural progression of what they could do. Um, I think if it followed a similar tone as, like, Quantum... And, and Skyfall to an extent, um, I don't think it would be as good. And I know it's not a very high bar for some people. But no, I think what I I appreciate, it's now after seeing No Time to Die um, last year. So No Time to Die does improve Madeline's character in this. I don't think she's perfect at all. And I think the actual love element of the story doesn't work for me. It didn't initially, I just don't believe in their love i believe it a bit more in the next film but here it just it seems to come out of left field especially after knowing each other for such a short time it's definitely not a you know i believe bond and cara more than bond and madeline in this film but i think i i like her character at least as an as an outline anyway like i like her backstory i like what she's doing and I kind of get her motivations, but I also don't. And her her quick change, her personality shifts. She'll go from, oh, I'm not really fancying this and I don't really want to do it, but, I'm, but I need to know, to sleeping with Bond, which I kind of get in the heat of that moment, although that happens so quickly, it's, that's a bit jarring. 
and then it, it's more the final the final act, the fourth act, um, if you will, when they return to London and she's like, oh, like, I actually, I don't want to do this and then uh, see you, bye. Um, and that's really random uh, because you would think that she would want to help finish it. And and she does without wanting to, but, you know, whatever. So, yeah, but I think, you know, her character improves and, you know, after No Time to Die. So I give props to that, although there are some inconsistencies in, you know, continuity, but, you know, whatever. What can we do? It's done now. MI6 regulars, I think, you know, like, I, I will believe in these films used a bit too much. However, I like, what I really love is, is Money Penny having someone over who people have said it could be C. I'm not too sure. I don't really care too much about that. I think it would have been fun if it was more, if it was him, if it was actually properly acknowledged. But it, for me, it's kind of like the the next level in terms of, how many how many penny is in golden eye when she's dressed up and she had gone to the theatre and she says to Bond pretty much that you know things go on um, when he's not around and that she's not waiting around and I think this is just another way of betraying that and I I really like that Q is fun in this film he mentions his cats <laughs> who we will who we will eventually see so he has some funny moments and you know some some drama when he's escaping those thugs and M he. I like what he's doing and I like him here more than I do in No Time to Die. I mean, I still like him there anyway, but I understand his frustration and his wanting to, you know, just get things back to normal. It feels like he's not really had a good ride of this job at all. He kind of taken over Judy Dench's mess and now he's got to just kind of work with it. Um, but I like his confrontation with C. Um, of course, the biggest laugh was, uh, well, we know what C stands for. But then he says careless or oh, carelessness, can't remember totally, but and he says it so coolly and shows the bullets in his hand, it's just it's an excellent moment. Tanner's there. <laughs> Tanner's fine. I don't have anything. I don't really have any strong opinions of Tanner. In terms of other characters, uh Lucia Sciara, um, absolutely underutilized, should have been used more. Ever, I think everyone says that. Monica Bellucci, absolutely wasted. The scenes that she appears in it are, you know, excellent to me. The whole vibe of her walking into her home and have just seeing those uh, guys behind her and, you know, she's about to die and she knows it. I think it's so eerie and so creepy and I just love how she looks on her face. Like, just the way she's acting, I think, is just excellent. Still don't know how she went from being naked to wearing lingerie, clearly. Clearly something went on there, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. But, yeah, love her, wish she was in it more. I can't remember who Dave Bautista's character's called, and that's not very good. I don't remember that. However, it's good to have an actual henchman in a film for once, it feels. We've not had a proper one since Zhao, really. So it's nice to have someone in there who's named, even though I can't remember his name, and, you know, actually has a trait about him, although the metal thumb things are a bit weird, but, you know, it's different and he actually does things in this film so that's good I kind of love his you know I feel like he really wants to get Bond and he just seems to be a bit cocky and a bit smug about things just kind of the realization just before he's off the train I think is really funny um so yeah get a good sense of his physicality messes Bond up a couple of times so yeah yeah uh good stuff there um 
Franz Oberhauser, aka Ernst Stavro Blofeld, very disappointing. I would love, I would love for him to be better, um, and he's not. I think acting wise, it's it's fine. It's just there's not really much to the character, and I think that's annoying. We see. I don't think it would be that different if we didn't really have a sense of who Blofeld was before, because. This this version is just so boring. Like the Blofeld that we knew in the classic era is manipul manipulative. He's all powerful. He knows exactly what's going on, but he doesn't really need to kind of go on and on about it. He he puppets people, and I get there's there's a that's kind of being done here. However, you know you get from Russia with Love. He is in control. He you know has people killing people. He doesn't. Just decides things and he can do it whereas here he doesn't do much like david Batista's character kills that other guy but it's not on blofeld's orders really he just i mean he just says why or the guy the guy the other guy in the boardroom's like why should you take take over or can anyone take over and then he just does and then he kills that guy and it's like okay and then blofeld just doesn't do anything else you know, he does that little torture thing, but it's just weird that he's doing that himself. The whole motivation being the brother thing, it just, you know, Brofeld just doesn't, it just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't work and it just feels like another way of putting things together and trying to link everything. I think there's a better way of doing it where you could have just, just left at least Silver and the events of Skyfall out of it. Where it's very much, oh yes, the Shifra and Vesper and Green and Silver and M and it's just like, okay... What are we doing here? <laughs> I think there's probably a better story with what they had in terms of like the security and everything like that. Which probably leads on to C. He's kind of a nothing character, but he's easy to not like. I like that he dies. I just kind of wish there was a bit more to it than him just oh, falling because of some smash glass. But you know, that is what it is. And James Bond, I think does well here. I think, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of humour from him. I think you know, he gets stuff to do, you know, more drama stuff, but there's not, not too much, I'm afraid. And I think that's that's what hurts the film, is the fact that, that really the lead characters don't... Actually, everyone, it's not just the lead characters, everyone just feels a bit off the game. And again, it's not, for me, not due to the acting, it's just what's written down, and I feel like it's a, it's not a great script. Luckily, there's some, there are some good locations. I, I honestly, I think I really love the pre-title sequence. I just think the whole environment the atmosphere is just excellent i think it works for me the whole you know first you know 20 minutes for me is pretty solid aside from the title song which i just cannot stand <laughs> i can't i really don't like sam smith's voice i don't like sam smith either but that's that that's a very subjective thing but the actual orchestration the actual writings on the wall music is is lovely and i like when it's used in the film i have to say as much as the score's not that impre impressive i do like the use of the bond theme um, I think it's used a few times, and I enjoy it every time it is used. Base that Blofeld has in the crates is also not that impressive, but, you know, that is what it is. I like the use of Rome, um, especially car chase at night. I kind of wish the car chase was a bit more, but luckily with the call with Money Penny and, you know, ramming the guy with the Fiat 500, say that as you will, um, I think that's a funny bit of it. And, you know, of course, you know, the car not really working as... Bond wants it to, and, you know, him flying out of the ejector instead um, is a nice touch. 
and yeah i think you know again it's just going back to skyfall and having the we're not going back to the play skyfall but the film and the old mi6 building it just feels like oh you know let's just use it i just kind of wish that that bit was just taken out or that was the finale instead of the crate of it i don't know it's just it's a the 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 final third of the film really just bothers me and i think it brings it down i think there's some sprinkles of good elements in there you know but not enough to really save it so yeah i think overall the film is a little messy um i think it's a little bland i think the story's not that great and i know that just sounds like negative 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 but i think there's there's seeds of good things in here and i think there's moments that stick out for me and you know those good moments kind of outweigh some of the bads to make this not a film that I dislike like I would I would happily watch this over Quantum any day I would probably watch Die Another Day over this however if I look at them both I just I think Spectre's better although I can't I can't say that any of the other Bond films are worse than Spectre so yeah so that's my thoughts on that really um I'm glad that Sam Mendes kind of goes after this. So I feel like it just kind of, not outside his welcome, but it just, to me, it wasn't necessary to bring him back. Um, I think had he just done Skyfall, I think he'd be better remembered for the Bond franchise. So yeah, so that's it on that. And that's this is probably it for me uh, on these weekly episodes. It's been 24 weeks. You know, it's been, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think, but... Yeah, after all the 24 films, I'm not going to be able to make A No Time to Die showing next week. So unfortunately, this is the end for me. Um, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've seen many of these films with the Really 007 guys. I've been grateful to kind of meet up with them, see some of these films, kind of enjoy a, a group experience with it. And yeah, I think we're very lucky to have been able to catch these films. I know a lot of people around the world are not able to experience these films as they were meant to on the big screen and it's just been really lovely to you know talk about them a bit more and just kind of share thoughts and hear other people so i do hope everyone enjoyed Spectre as much as they could i did i hope everyone who gets to watch no time to die enjoys it whether they like it or not and um, there's definitely good things in there as well as bad but you know there always is with a bond film nothing's completely perfect of course but yeah, uh, thanks everyone for listening to my ramblings for the past 24 weeks. And yeah, I hopefully will be speaking about something else Bond related soon. Hi, Patch here. We're almost at the end of these re-releases and it seems that the Craig films I've been getting more and more to talk about. Suspector has been a film that I liked initially upon release, but my opinion of it diminished on later viewings. The last time I saw it prior to now was in the lead up to No Time To Die's release. The Bond community has had plenty of time to let it settle in over the six year gap in between films, and for a while I thought there was nothing else I could say about it. This cinema viewing, however, proved that's not entirely true. I still don't consider this a great Bond film, but perhaps I don't dislike it as much as I previously did. So without further ado, let's get into why. It's been said often, but this is probably Daniel Craig's most traditional Bondian performance. It reels back some of the stoicism and gives him the chance to be a fairly charming and humorously obstinate character, like when he's avoiding answering M's question about why he was in Mexico City, and how he teases C shortly afterwards. There's a fair amount of good one-liners, Inspector, and he gets some even better ones in No Time to Die. So, 
Madeline Swan, although the character as written just comes across as too cold and therefore a little dull to me, I found a new appreciation for the way the film sets up her relationship with Bond. The train scene is the one part where her character in this film does become somewhat interesting. The story of her shooting an intruder in their father's home, and the way she questions Bond's lifestyle choices, similar to how Vespa did in Casino Royale, are interesting setups for these two characters and what they go through in No Time to Die. The meaning behind the lyrics of Sam Smith's song Writings on the Wall on this viewing suddenly clicked with me, even if some of it is somewhat influenced by what I know happened in the next film. So, not all of this might be what was originally intended. Nevertheless, the part that says, If I risk it all, could you break my fall? How do I live? How do I breathe? When you're not here, I'm suffocating. I want to feel love run through my blood. Tell me, is this where I give it all up? For you, I have to risk it all, because the writing's on the wall. This, of course, is referencing the subplot of Madeline learning to trust Bond as she falls in love with him. I'd never noticed that before, but now it all makes sense, and you could perhaps reverse the meaning and pin it on Bond's feelings somewhat too. Madeline almost exits Bond's life in the climax, just as she will do at the beginning of No Time to Die when Bond puts her on the train. So you could suggest that the lyrics also refer to Bond taking the risk of protecting Madeline, possibly at the cost of his own life? After all, he promises Mr White he would protect her, Judging by what happens in the next film, he absolutely kept that promise to the very end. Monica Bellucci is criminally underused in the film, but the segments in Rome with her are one of the highlights of the film for me. She gives such a great performance as a tormented but determined woman who wants to die with grace now that her husband's death takes away all security in her life. Similar to Solange in Casino Royale, she sleeps with Bond for her own gain, and passes on some information to get him from point A to point B. But again, with someone as talented as Bellucci, she deserves to do so much more in this film. Alas, the story as it is doesn't really leave room for an extra Bond woman. Oh well. The scene where M says to see that a license to kill also being a license not to kill is a great moment for him, and is a good example of why Ralph Fiennes was a perfect choice to be a new M. He has the right authority to channel the idea of the characters originally set by Bernard Lee's performance, like with the rest of the MI6 crew, he perhaps has too much involvement in the plot, but it's a good performance nonetheless. And at this point, Naomi Harris is really settling into the Moneypenny role, now that the character has permanently given up being a field agent. She doesn't have as much witty back-and-forth banter with Bond here as they did in Skyfall, but Harris adds a lot of warmth and good humour to her scenes that's always welcome. Regarding Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, I'm not sure if there's much in you that I can say about him that others have already said. Though, I can say I would have preferred for Oberhels and Blofeld to be two separate characters, and for neither to have the kind of personal connection to Bond that Waltz's Blofeld was given. Imagine if Oberhels had essentially been a decoy villain, and if he was the one replacing Mr. White after he left Spectre. Then Bond would hunt him down, only to discover at the Spectre base that Blofeld is really the one pulling the strings and Oberhauser is essentially a puppet. That would have been far more interesting. And you could keep the torture scene in, as while I'm not keen on what Blofeld reveals in that scene, I do like the idea of the drill going into Bond's head. The car chase in Rome starts out fine, but gets bogged down by some plot exposition being inserted in the middle of it. That just reduces the tension a little too much for my liking. 
Also, the environment and how it's utilised also don't manage to make the chase as exciting as it could be. The streets of Rome are just far too empty. There should be more vehicles for Bond and Hinks to dodge, or some other interesting set pieces. What about pedestrians walking about? You know, Diamonds Are Forever managed to put those in the Las Vegas car chase. Why not here? I mean, it just kind of makes the location feel it could be interchangeable with another city, cinematography aside. The plane chase in Austria also feels like a bit of a missed opportunity to either use a helicopter or to have a classic Bondian ski chase. It's okay, I just don't really feel like Bond is in that much danger. Sure, he clips the wings off the plane, but it's not too difficult for him to catch it with Hinks and the other cars. And at the end, instead of having the base just blow up after a short gunfight, I'd have loved for there to have been a climax with good guy and bad guy armies fighting each other. Most of the previous films with Spectre had something like that, so why not bring it back? You could even take the whole Madeline subplot of her almost leaving Bond then being captured by Spectre and set it at the base instead. All that stuff about whether she trusts him to get them out in time would work just as well if Blofeld perhaps decided to self-destruct the base, a la blowing up the volcano base and you only live twice. Still, the film does have some good action scenes, the pre credit sequence and the train fight. The former not only feels like a throwback to classic Bond teaser openings in the vein of Goldfinger, but it's also really well paced. And I do love the fantastical set piece of Bond surviving when the building is crumbling apart by falling onto a sofa. Bit of a Roger Morris gag, but it makes me chuckle. And hey, there's a memorable set piece stunt to rival Bond fighting on top of a train with Patrice in the last film. Could you imagine fighting on the side of a helicopter? Amazing. As for the train fight, it has to be one of the tensest in the series. There's moments where it truly feels like Bond doesn't stand a chance and Hinks could kill him. Thank goodness for Madeline saving him and distracting Hinks long enough for Bond to find a solution. Bond and Madeline making out afterwards does feel a tad forced since I don't buy their relationship that much in this film, though I suppose it's a traditional Bond trope for them to do so after a life and death situation. One of the best scenes from a character perspective, however, has to be Bond's final meeting with Mr. White. Not just for the fact that a previously forgotten plot thread was finally tied up, but because Jesper Christensen steals the show just like he did in Quantum of Solace. How right he was about Bond being a kite in a hurricane. Sam Mendes' direction throughout the film is good, and I especially like the quote-unquote single take shot in the opening, but as a package the film feels like it's missing something in certain areas. Perhaps like Guy Hamilton said about not immediately returning to direct a Bond film after finishing Goldfinger, Mendes needed to recharge his batteries. I mean, according to the Being James Bond documentary, Mendes was reluctant to return for Spectre, presumably because he felt drained after Skyfall. I will say though that the pacing at the very start of the film is quite good, and the feeling that the direction creates of the Craig era now being firmly in the classic bonding environment of the Whitehall MI6 headquarters is great. It's almost like being back in the Roger Moore era, which often cut to M's office right after the title sequence. Whilst I did enjoy the one for Skyfall, this score suffers a little from reusing a lot of cues from the latter film. It honestly feels lazy and distracting, especially when they use the Skyfall track more than once. The rest of the score is fine, and it complements the action well enough, but I find on its own it's less memorable than Skyfall's score. Still, one track that did stand out to me is The Secret Room, which highlights the emotional character moments in the scene where Bond and Madeline discover Mr. White's hidden room in Lemurican. So while Spectre does have its problems, I found more to enjoy from it this time around, 
particularly in regards to how it connects to the following film, which had quite a lot of threads to tie up, and I think I do now understand why some people might consider this the most traditional Bond film of Craig's tenure, so it's quite the contrast to the last Craig film, which is by far the most unconventional. On to the grand finale, folks! Hello there, everybody! Steve Clamp here! Good to see you again. Now, I feel a bit of a cheat because with all the other Bond on the big screen reviews I've submitted, I have seen Bond on the big screen. But this time, I couldn't get to Spectre. And it was a film I really wanted to submit a review for because, and here we go, I'll wait for your response. Spectre is the best Daniel Craig James Bond film. Right, I know my opinion is not going to be backed up by too many of you, although I know at least one who thinks the same thing. The reason I really like it is it feels like classic Bond, and that's what I'm in Bond for, and that's what I love. Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Brosnan. That feel, the humour is front and centre throughout this film. It's tongue-in-cheek, it's not taking itself too seriously. It's not full of melodrama. It just gets on with it and has lots of delightful one-liners along the way and some great imagery too. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, Well, first of all, it's the perfect beginning because finally, in his fourth film, Daniel Craig has the gun barrel in exactly the right place. Then we get into that great pre-titles. I mean, it is stunning. Okay, I could have done with a bit less filter on it. It's a bit orangey-yellowy, isn't it? But I mean, just epic, absolutely epic. Goodness knows how much money they spent on it. And I love that. Great, sets up the film nicely. We then get into the title song. Daniel Kleinman's image, images are brilliant. Again, really feeling that classic Bond look to it, I guess, because they're doing the whole Spectre thing. And the song, which I'm not keen on when you take it away from the film, I think it fits really nicely within the movie itself. We get into the main part of the film and very quickly we're introduced to, again, there's going to be humour in this film. There's the scenes with M and this horrible Max Demby, I'll call you C, says Bond. We get over to Bond's flat and Moneypenny asks, have you just moved in? No, says Bond, looking at all the bare walls. Then we get an, a nice scene with Q. You might just fall a, feel a small prick, says Q. Christ! says Bond as the nano blood goes on, goes in. More signs of the humour that's going to be there, which I just think it really flows in this film. And of course we start to see there's going to be gadgets too, you know, Q tipping Bond off about the alarm is rather loud in the watch, which obviously will be the exploding watch later. So good to see gadgets back. I didn't see this warmth with Q and Bond in Skyfall. And uh, after that exploding pens line in Skyfall, I really wasn't that keen on Q. But he seems a changed man here. I think he's actually terrific in this film. Then we head off to Rome. We've got to all the great stuff with Monica Bellucci. I think everyone enjoys those scenes. And then, of course, we get the scene which, OK, some people hate and I'm not particularly comfortable with. The scene where Spectre reveals themselves around the table. They kind of give it all away a bit easily, don't they? I don't mind that element of it too much. What I really don't like about this scene is the way the new henchman, Mr. Hinks, supposedly proves his worth. It's just ridiculous. The violence for me is really uncomfortable to watch. It's not really what I want from a Bond film, not that kind of graphic, poking your eyes out violence. And, you know, what does it prove about him? Okay, so what? A really big guy can kill the smaller guy when he comes at him from behind. I didn't really need that show of strength to prove that. Also, I find it a bit weird that Spectre's happy to just stand by and let one of its most loyal agents just be killed by another guy because he wants to prove he's tough. I'm sure the HR department will have something to say about it anyway. We then get a car chase. It's all right. 
Good to see gadgets, even though they don't work, but I like the idea they're thrown in there. So there's some nice moments of humour, the Frank Sinatra music kicking in, the Fiat 500 getting in the way. As for the actual cars themselves, well, do you know what? I used to be a total petrol head some years ago, but in the last 20 years, I've just lost interest in all new cars. They just look so samey for me. I mean, for me, the Aston looks a bit like a Ford Focus that someone sat on. I've got no idea what that Scalectrix car is that uh, is in pursuit, but... Well, I guess we live in an age of pedestrian safety. They all sort of look very similar, don't they? Um, but I do like it when Bond ditches the car and then he lands from his parachute uh, on the uh, on the path. And how much I really wanted that guy who spots him landing to do a sort of double take at his bottle of wine. Yeah, okay, we're not going to get that, are we? But we did get a nice good evening from Bond as he landed. And soon after, we get Bond ringing money penny. She answers the phone. She's got a friend at her flat. A friend at this time of night, says Bond. A hint of jealousy, maybe. Again, building those relationships, showing us they do like each other, which, again, I didn't really get that feel so much in Skyfall. Moving on, let's head over to where we see because I am dragging on, I know, but I do love this film. I like that Mr White turns out to be good when he's protecting his daughter, and I do think the scene with him and Bond here is played really well. There's clearly mutual respect between them, uh, and then after Mr White shoots himself, Bond closing his eyes is a nice touch. Back in England uh, with Max, or C as he's getting called, we see him trying to take over. Nice sparring with him and M building up for later in the film. I like it when M says a license to kill is also a license not to kill. Although, if I'm honest with you, license not to kill would be a terrible name for a Bond film. We then head off to some beautiful scenery, leading us to that magnificent clinic where Dr. Madeline Swan is working. Quite like the scene where she's getting Bond to answer questions. Uh, once he's kicked out, of course, he's at the bar and we get another beautiful classic Bond moment. Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Although he's not going to get one, of course. And then Q's there. I love this. M wants my balls for Christmas decorations. The two of them working together. Of course, Madeline's then kidnapped. We get another great chase. And this is probably, for me, the highlight of the film in an action sense. Loads going on. Q obviously got his own problems in the cable car. We see Bond in hot pursuit. The wings get smashed off the plane while he chases Hinks and Co down in the snow. Real old school Bond fun. And then when he crashes the plane through that wooden shack, I just remember the living daylights when Dalton does the same in the Aston Martin. I wonder if that was to heart back to that. Because he rescues Madeline, Bond on top form, unlike in Skyfall where everything he did just went wrong. Um, Madeline's cross, but she makes a good point. He did lead them to her. And of course, Madeline then reveals Spectre off to Tangiers. Beautiful place. Why this yellow filter again, I don't know. But uh, anyway, there's some lovely music as they arrive. I then enjoy Bond talking to the rat while Madeline sleeps. I don't know what that says about me. Um, but of course, it leads to the discovery of the secret room. And they head off on the rest of the mission. On the train, I love trains, real train geeks, so I enjoy that. The gun talk with Madeline is cute. And they start at the end of that scene, we start to see the affection building, um, as, real, as well as real mutual respect. And I really believe these two have a spark in this film. And I feel it more than I did in No Time to Die. I think... Perhaps because so many things were sort of forced on you in No Time to Die to show you they're really in love. It was kind of putting it on you. Uh, I didn't believe it as much, but it, I think it works really well in this film. I know not everyone sees that, and I get it. That's fine, but uh, I do see a little spark between them. And of course, we find out the double O unit's being shut down, uh, but behind the scenes, the team are pulling together MQ and Money Penny. They're like the Avengers. Um, but M also making the point he's on his own, as Bond should be when he's in the field. I like that. Bond back on his own, not with. M popping up every few minutes. We get a train fight, of course. That's always good in a Bond film. I like that Madeline 
you know, gets involved, although gets herself knocked out briefly. It's not a from rush with love or live and let die, but it's still a decent scene. I like the ending when Hinks is disposed of. And then, of course, all that adrenaline's flowing leads to the passion uh, with Madeline. And we get a lovely orchestration of the writings on the wall. The way to the station when they get there is quirky and stylish. I love Bond knowing his knowledge of classic cars, too, as it heads towards him. This time, a 1948 Rolls-Royce. I tell you what, Ian Fleming's Bond would have loved that. Uh, once we get to Blofeld's lair, I do find the film loses its sharpness of wit and its imagination. And, of course, the whole Blofeld brother thing is silly. And it is a poor decision. But I'm not hung up on it like some people. This is Fun Bond, and in Fun Bond, it's okay to have silly bits. I mean, look at Jaws flapping his arms in Moonraker, and I love Moonraker. We get to that whole injection scene. I find that really does drag, but I like Bond's use of the exploding watch. Gadgets are cool. Take note, Skyfall. Back in London for the finale, the pace picks up a bit. I think my favourite of the end battles is actually Mallory's confrontation with Max uh, when Max, or C as he's been nicknamed, pulls the gun and says M stands for moron but the gun has no bullets. So M retorts, well now we know what C stands for, careless. Lovely line. I find Max a far more unpleasant and memorable villain actually than Blofeld who isn't a patch on Blofeld's of the past. I also don't believe Blofeld would go to such an effort to kill Bond in such an elaborate way. He's not even showing off to anyone. He's on his own. I mean, all that effort. He's flown to England. He's wired up a building. A big, big, big building. And all for what? In some classic Bond, we know we get the trope of Bond being just left to die in escapable circumstances, but at least the setup of those scenes was more natural. Anyway, once Mallory has killed Max, it's up to Bond to save Madeline, and he does. It's fine. They jump somewhere. Uh, then we get the boat and helicopter chase, which is also fine. I'm not really sure a boat can just keep up with a chopper like that. And Bond's aim is phenomenal uh, with his gun. But hey, he is a great spy. But it's fun, Bond. I'm going to let it go. Uh, worst of all, in the climax for me, I think it's just quite unimpressive. This is where a John Glenn was needed. I mean, he knew how to create an epic finale in any of his Bond films. At the end, uh, Bond chooses not to pull the trigger on Blofeld. I quite like that. Um, once Blofeld is on the floor and defeated even though he's got no bullets, but I don't think he's going to pull it anyway. It kind of shows he's now, you know, we've got on this journey with Daniel Craig's Bond. It's all about a journey, isn't it? He's the complete agent. He ditches the gun. He gets the classic Aston Martin back. He's with Madeline. The Bond theme plays. This is the perfect end of Daniel Craig as Bond. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Or it should have been. I'll just pretend it is. As what came next is, well... Not something I want reminding of for many years to come. OK, that's me done. Over to whoever is next. Surely they loved Spectre too. We'll see. Don't tell me you're responsible for this. No, but my quartermaster is. And he's extremely talented. Well, bravo. But in case you hadn't realised it, you two are out of a job. So you're trespassing. I'm afraid you've got the wrong end of the stick, Max. We're going to stop this system going online. And then I'm going to bring you in. On what grounds, exactly? Poor tasting friends. Take a look at the world. Chaos. Because people like you, paper pushers and politicians, are too spineless to do what needs to be done. So I made an alliance to put the power where it should be, and now you want to throw it away for the sake of democracy. Whatever the hell that is. How predictably moronic. But then isn't that what M stands for? Moron. And now we know what C stands for. Careless. We're on to our fourth Daniel Craig film. Just as George Aldred from Cinema Savvy spoke with me after all four Pierce Brosnan films, Chris Eels is back again. Unfortunately, again, I've not seen it. I've missed the two Sam Mendes ones. Of course, I saw them when they came out. I know, I'm gutted. Now, Chris, have you seen it on your big, small screen? I I saw it on Monday night on the little big screen. Little big screen. And it was a slog. It was a real challenge to get through. And I must admit, at one point, (laughs) I left to refill my glass. And I think I just wandered about the house in a daze just not wanting to return wow. to the screen. Just, it does not hold the attention. I'm going to say it straight off the bat. I think it's guilty of the greatest of cinematic crimes, and that is just being dull. That is often a common criticism of the film, and it's it's long. I, th- I think the pacing, we'll, we'll tackle the pacing to start with, because that's got to be one of the main issues with for me, anyway. Certainly. It's two and a half hours, nearly, just under, something like that. It is laborious in so many ways. The Spectre meeting scene, when they're all sat around the big table... <laughs> And there's all of these people that just sort of get up and speak in shadow and whisper into people's yeah. ear and then sit down again. And is this to is this supposed to evoke an air of mystery or suspense? Because it's making me look at my watch rather than making me enthralled. It's right. it's dragging out something terrible. In Thunderball, when they were all sat around I was gonna say the table, but they weren't, they were in those exquisite Bauhaus chairs. Blofeld was presiding over them, face hidden but it was urgent and things were happening and it held your attention. With this, it was just one long conversation and just didn't have anything going for it until Mr. Hinks came in and gouged someone's eyes out. Is that what we need now, to have our eyes gouged out to be able to hold our attention? 
you think there is a good scene in there somewhere? Like the idea, I quite like the idea, of the setup that it does look quite mysterious. It's a good way, in in my eyes, of introducing a, this character. Forget the whole backstory that will come up to and all that. If you went in blind to this, you would be thinking, right, this guy, who is this guy? If it was done quicker, there's, there's too many gaps and long silences. If you watch the honest trailer of it, it's very funny. <laughs> The point now where it's just somebody speak now. What is going? You know, like this is absolutely embarrassing. The honest trailer guys are really good, and for any of any of your listeners who have not discovered them, please do go onto YouTube yeah. and hunt them out. They are absolutely hysterical. No, I'm not really sure there is a good scene in there. With most of this film, it's style over substance. It looks great, but there's actually not much there behind it, and it would have been a lot better if they'd have just clipped through this and got straight to the action of James Bond is among us, calling him out and then getting into the car chase. It's otherwise, I've read on Twitter somewhere recently, it's the bad mafia that are obsessed with uh, dimmer switches. It's all that scene is. Mm. It's it's a trifle. <laughs> well, you said it was a style over substance. What do you think about the look of the film? Because it's quite controversial that the monkey piss yellow or whatever. Uh, that's, not, that's not my phrase. Do you, do you think... Some of it is too is too kind of golden and sepia, or do you think there are some scenes which that works well? I don't know. Certainly when they're in Mexico, certainly where yes. they're in uh, Morocco and the desert, it seems to lend itself to that sort of colouring. But I don't know if that's stereotypical of those sort of regions, or maybe even slightly racist in my saying mm. it. It feels terrible to say. Yeah, you... But it works in the right that's, sort of places, yeah. and it doesn't in others. There is, heavens, I forget his name, the Twitter chap who has put together a... Tom Mason, yeah. Who's, I've seen clips of his who's putting together a version of Spectre right. that has the sepia filter removed and it just looks so much better. And you realise what yeah. were they thinking putting this sort of blanket orangey-yellow tone over everything. Particularly the Monica Bellucci scene inside, it's like, it is too dark. I'm with you on some of the scenes that it looks good and, you know, it's, it's not as simple as just make the whole film look normal because it's nice to have different ideas in, in these films. And Hoyt van Hoytema, one of the best names ever, he's obviously got a very good CV, hasn't he? Oh, and exceptionally talented. Yeah, yes. you know, it's just, it's that choice though, isn't it? And does it work for this film? That's what it's got to be about. Well, in my in my in my production experience and the limited number of shoots that I've been on, the cinematographer does not have overall say on the grading of a film. Mm -hmm. They can contribute to it, and they can certainly say this is what the director said to me. So this is how I shot it, and then the grader went and applied the look based on sort of the thing. It's not as if. The cinematographer goes into the great suite and does it himself, yeah. themselves. But yeah, it's it smothers the film. It almost chokes it in certain places. It's not it's not right for this sort of thing. The film is quite forced, isn't it? Because Daniel Craig was almost forced to come back. Sam Mendes was forced to come back, and they forced in the Spectre storyline. And they sort of felt we have got to get all these elements together. Then we'll think about the plot. After all that's been decided, and I know it was three years, so it's you'd settle for a three-year gap between Bond films, but it felt quite a bit longer, maybe, in the waiting in between. I think that certainly having a three-year gap is acceptable. 
it's it's more of yeah. the longer side of acceptable, but it it'll do it. Maybe coming off the back of something as fabulous as Skyfall, everyone was hungry for more, so it felt that little bit longer. We're in this weird situation that the rights for the Spectre and Blofeld character become usable again. So, as you say, they feel as though they have to force it into the narrative, retcon everything that's gone before. If they'd have left it alone, continued with Quantum as an organization, continued with Mr. White, and I know I'm banging that drum as I always do, but I really feel strongly that if that narrative had continued, that could have been a very different beast and its own thing. And I would have respected them more for trying to create something new than trying to rely on past glories. And I, I think I've said this before, but if in No Time to Die, that organisation was quantum, and then you've got it sort of all suddenly ending and disposed of, only to reveal the even bigger organisation, Spectre, that might have worked a bit better. And Safin was sort of involved with that. But if once you've named him Blofeld, because did, this character didn't have to be Blofeld, did it? No, not at all. Not at all. It could have been, I was about to say, it could have been his brother and I would have accepted that. And now I'm thinking about... The problem is you've got Madeline as Mr. White's daughter. There's so there's so many family connections with it all now. It's getting a bit... A bit soap, soap opera. <laughs> well, especially with the daughter. What do you think about Daniel Craig's performance in the film, Chris? I think it's a solid performance. I think he's giving it his all. I think he's coming off the high of Skyfall and it's it's all there. He just doesn't have the material to make it work, to really make it sing. There are so many moments that really work, and he's he's just lost. In Mexico, when the building has fallen and he's landed on the sofa and he's holding on to the light fixture, he just looks at it and then he sort of comically, casually tosses it away. It's a lovely little touch. Or when he's in the Aston Martin, presses a button and suddenly... Oh, heavens, what's the song? It's oh, not yeah. New York, New York. It's... Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, New it, York, is New it is. York. It is. <coughs> <coughs> so when he's in the Aston Martin, he presses a button and instead of a gadget saving him, we get New York, New York played. And his comic look of, you've got to be kidding me. He's there for that kind of Bond humour that we've been missing. Almost getting into sort of slightly Roger Moore fun territory which is great and it's what people have wanted but there's not quite enough of it and it's just you can almost see him struggling with the text that he's got and it's really disheartening because some people say that he looks bored in this but i don't i don't get that personally i I think he's he he is more roger in this he is more likable the scenes with q are really good i think and that and i think he takes that into no time to die the first hour and a half he, he's in a really good mood, Bond, isn't he? He seems to be enjoying it. And apart from the, the stuff with Madeline, you know, after that, Jamaica, and then, of course, Cuba. He's proper, like, cocky Bond and confident Bond. I think Craig does that quite well, and he's not really had much of a chance to show it overall in the five films, weirdly. But he can do comedy, I think. I think he can certainly do a light-touch comedy. This sort of yeah physical reaction stuff is is certainly within his realm. Yes, he should embrace it more. It's just a shame we're not given given enough of it. Sam Mendes, do you think it was a good idea to bring him back? It's an easy choice because Skyfall did so well. I'm not sure it was the right choice. I'm sure there are other directors out there that could have done this equally as good or even better. But I can understand that it was such a hit 
everything went in place so well, bringing him back was yeah. an easy choice. And maybe it was lazy on the production team's part that they brought him back. Maybe it should have been somewhere. I mean, go, going through the series, we have had lots of directors who've done more than one. He is the only, uh, he's the only one to do a consecutive Bond film since uh, John Glenn. But maybe the producers, they've said recently that they're looking for their, the new Bond and that they want to tie him into a 10-year contract. Is it possible that maybe we could get a director and tie them into a multi-picture deal so we get that consistency throughout? It's an interesting one because you, if you look at the Mission Impossibles, I know we always compare, but one of the things Tom Cruise wanted to do with them is that each one would have a different director and they do seem very different. But then with Kristen McQuarrie, it changes now. And then actually, no, we're onto something here. We'll continue this this way of yeah. doing it. They're both words, haven't they? They're both. Those two with the Mission Impossible films have really brought it into something much bigger and much more of a cinematic beast that is really easily enjoyable and lovable and something to root for and look forward to. And unfortunately, the Bond franchise has sort of slipped the other way <laughs> and it's become grittier and darker and something to almost fear. Mm. How is it going to end up? In terms of this film, Spectre, what were your initial views when you saw it the first time at the cinema, Chris? 2015. I mean, it's seven years ago now, isn't it? It's quite a long time ago. It is. It was just that complete feeling of disappointment. I'm not going to say, was it a case of, did I want to be a Bond fan anymore because of this? But it was that real sort of, oh, what have they done? I remember when the Star Wars came out, The Phantom Menace, and I remember... No, 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 no. There'll be no fist pumping for that film. Not in this house. There was a review and the headline was George Lucas raped my childhood. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not saying Spectre did that, but it's close. <laughs> wow, okay. I'm it really, it really, really upset me how they could take all of these all of these elements that were available to them and just create something like this. I don't know, it's it's really disheartening. I wanna, I wanna see stuff in it that I like. There are bits in it that I like, but they are few and far between. Oh, well, what are those, Chris? Let's be positive. Okay, let's try and be positive. <laughs> <laughs> Let me gather my thoughts <laughs> in the bottom of this glass. <laughs> Do you know what? The pre-title sequence is really good. It is a good pre-title sequence. I don't like this whole the dead are alive title that you get. It's not needed. Absolutely not needed. Pisses you off straight yeah. away, doesn't it? Like, uh. But it is a lovely tracking shot that we start out with. Is it a little bit much? Maybe, but it's done with such panache and such visual splendor of all of these people moving around us and then going, if you watch, the camera comes down, you pass Bond and his lady to find Skiara, thank you. And then we walk back with Skiara, Bond and the lady then follow him, and we go in and we go up, and it all looks wonderful. And then that long shot as he walks along the building, just looking cool, he's unclipping the gun, it's all mysterious but exciting and fun. The vast scene in the background, it's slightly that thing of, oh, there's an event happening and we need to try and shoehorn Bond in a little bit like they did with yeah. the uh, horse race, like they do with the Junkanoo or with the uh, Mardi Gras in Rio and all the rest of it. But we go with it. 
and then the building falls down and that very very cool sort of the front of the building falls down the ceiling then tips up he's hanging onto yeah. the side of the building and he looks and then he just does a very cool little hand release and slides down yeah and it's just yeah. really it's like this is the kind of bond in control that i want yeah and it's great and then the helicopter i'm a little bit oh should the crowds not be running for their lives but okay <laughs> the one thing i will say about this which isn't the fault of this film when the helicopter is doing its loop the loop and twisting around these are the action shots that we should have got in GoldenEye when Xenia was stealing the helicopter off the back of the uh, warship. Oh, yeah. Because there is a shot. It's just Bond who's still yeah, yeah, there's a shot in the trailer for GoldenEye, I'm sure, where you see the helicopter do a loop-the-loop and then fly out of Monaco. And it's in the book, oh, and it's just that thing of, why didn't we get it in the film? That would have been great. And instead, we've got to wait yeah. 20-odd bloody years for it to be in this film. It's crazy the song you have all of that <laughs> and then you get the fucking song and the <laughs> i don't know how any how I, other way to put it you get gratuitous octopus porn you do tentacle porn it's yeah. everything that daniel Kleiman has done up to this point is sort of like oh it's magnificent and then he just <laughs> spanks it up the wall with a bit of tentacle porn it's just ridiculous it's a bit much isn't it i don't sort of topless Craig and it doesn't feel Bond, does it? That I don't, you know, it's getting a bit. I find it funny though. I see, I can enjoy that song because I find it funny, and I can see that there is the certain. I like the chorus. I like the height, the falsetto, the strings, and the you know the sort of riff at the beginning. It's such a rip off of. Well, it sounds like somebody's quick. Let's think of a, what what sounds Bond. It's like. No, it, it seems forced. Didn't Sam Smith say that he wrote it within yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes or something like that? And I hate yeah. to say it, but it shows. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't admit that, mate. Yeah. But then, of course, not only that, he's guilty of delivering a bad song. And then when he wins an Oscar, he messes up at the Academy oh. Award and just completely gives the worst speech ever. It's so he's, bad. You say he was the first gay person to win an Oscar or something awful. Like yeah. That. It's sort of like, no, if you're going to try and be a, a good gay and move the cause forward, you don't go out onto the stage of the Oscars without doing a little bit of homework and checking, are you actually? <laughs> so because I can tell you now, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, dear. He was sort of a popular young up-and-coming British thing like Adele. Oh. Emily Sunday would have been a more obvious choice maybe at the time. I completely understand why they chose him, completely. There's nothing... Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 You can see this is definitely, would have been a sure thing, and then they end up with that. It's just, it's yeah. It would have been great. Number one. Pardon? Number one in England. That means nothing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the first... Wasn't it? I think it was the first Bond song that was number one in England. I mean, goodness. Really? I thought Skyfall got that. I think it was number two. Outrageous. The, the Americans have got the Americans have got the best taste because "A View to a Kill" was the first. Number oh, there, so. magnificent! Yeah, <laughs> magnificent. Do you, do you like the the way they use the? Sorry, no. I was just going to say while we're just on the the title sequence, we do have the one thing that I do like within this is that you have these callbacks to the previous films within the sort of 
fractured glass. Yeah. We see these people's faces. And it just really made me think of On a Manchester Secret Service when you had in the hourglass the callbacks to all the previous films. It was just a little, mm, oh. yeah, I like that. But then if you actually read the titles, suddenly it gets to story by, written by, screenplay by. And it's like, how many people wrote, wrote yeah. this mess? It's an absolute, you know, it's by committee. Obviously, yeah. Purvis and Wade, I've had my feelings about them made quite clear, and I don't need to go into that again. Jez Butterworth had a hand in this, who is an exceptionally yeah. talented theatre writer. And it's that weird thing of what elements did he work on? Because in No Time to Die, you can almost see the fingerprints of... Of exactly. Waller Bridge. Yeah, yeah. But is it, again, it's... We've got these two. We can't get rid of them somehow. Can't we? When Danny Boyle was on board. Can't we get rid of them? Well, when what? Danny Boyle was on board, they had got rid of them, but then they brought them what back. What I really want to know is what have these two guys got on the producers that means yeah. that they can't <laughs> get rid of them? I think it's all the same. But, it, but you get... So, Dying of the Day, they've had it on their own. Okay, you know, weren't sacked for that. So, we'll, let's bring them back. Paul Haggis is hot right now. We'll get him on. Right, it's, it's gone well. And you've got the book as well, you know, um, <laughs> to, to rely on. Then Haggis was on again, wasn't he? By by the third one, you got, right, John Logan, get him in. Is John Logan on this one as oh, well? And Jez Butterworth. I think he might be. But it's it's a bit sort of, ooh, Jez Butterworth's trendy right now. We'll get we'll get him in. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge, we'll, we'll let a woman have a go. <laughs> God for, you know. Oh, heaven, <laughs> it is put a bit it like, like that. that that's it? terrible. Well, wasn't that, I think that's what was said, wasn't it? To get a woman's touch on it. Well, it was certainly said with The Will Is Not Enough that Michael Apted's wife, was called in. <laughs> like we bet we better speak to a woman actually if we're if we're gonna do a film about a woman. Heavens. <laughs> first away, like oh, all right then, go on. I do quite like how the first hour it, it could have been done in half an hour, but after the pre titles, it's quite a I always say an A to B to C following leads and trying to find out who this mysterious person is. I think it's a good scene with Mr. White. That's quite an effective scene. And again, you get that sense that, you know, that we have people everywhere. And you'll say, well, yeah, it should have just been quantum, of course. For the continuity. Yeah, I did, does it start to does it start to go wrong maybe in Austria? I don't, I don't know. Every time I see this film, I think, yeah, actually, yeah, there's, I, I was a bit harsh in it. I'm going to enjoy it this time. And it's still, every time it's like, it just lets me down. Yeah. It, and I, want, I really like bits of it. I want to like it more. But unlike Quantum, I just can't quite rally through and say, actually, you know what, I'm going to champion this film. I can't quite get to that level, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, watching it back, I'd forgotten about the instructions from Judy Dench's M. If I die, this is what you need to do. And it was like, yeah. oh, okay, I forgot about that. That's exciting. That could have been something. So then, rather than go behind Ray Fiennes' M's back, take that to him and then he could have authorized this and then you know it's yeah. kind of making bond as a renegade for reckless reasons he has to be doesn't he in all these films yeah he doesn't he definitely doesn't need to be in this film he doesn't need to disobey orders all the time but the, the scenes with ray fines are good though i think ray fines is excellent really sort of settles into the m role having said that there is that sort of the initial scene after mexico feels a bit yeah Maybe there's just too much exposition going on. It's very old school Bernard Hill scene, that I think. Yeah, 
I mean, Bond's a bit cockier, obviously, than Sean or Roger would have been. Well, then that's but that's just the Daniel Craig style of Bond, isn't it? He's just that little bit cocky yeah. and that little bit more arrogant. Very cocky with them in No Time to yeah. Die. Really, I don't like that at all. The, the you know the joke about the size of the chair or something. I can't yeah. remember now. How dare you? <laughs> well, and then and then C comes in and he's just an absolute dick from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Andrew's performance? Do you like? I really like him as a performer. Yeah. I just cannot stand him as C. You're not meant to like him, though, are you? Is he, well... Is he too ridiculously sick and annoying? And Yeah, know. it's too forced and it's too... <laughs> the way he talks and... The... Well, no, but that's him. That's his performance style. You know, he yeah, yeah, yeah. attacks throughout all of the work that he does. It's uh, it's literally just that you 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 see him and you can smell him out as you are not a good guy. Of course, it just <laughs> yeah, you you are trouble. You are trouble yeah. walking around waiting to be found out, and it's just how and when. It's a bit of a pantomime. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's, it's it, funny you say pantomime because. Yeah. Going back to Die Another Day, where we had those characters right. as Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, we're going to pick one up yeah. and it's going to be Panto and it's going to be great. It's almost like Andrew Scott went for that and failed. Yeah. And that makes it all the more excruciating because he didn't quite get there. If he could have got to that sort of high camp level, maybe this would have worked. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just, no, he's being a, he's just being a dick. Do we need that subplot? Because we've got so much going on with Blofeld and the brother stuff, and to add this to it, and is it? It's not. Is it cinematic? You know, it's not. It's sort of cyber stuff. It's not really. Cyber stuff is always not sort of world world. to have on on screen. Yeah. It's a good idea. I, I appreciate the idea and the the tension of do we need Bond in this world? But it's yet another. It's more of a sort of leftover idea from Skyfall, isn't it? Really, to a degree. I wonder if maybe they'd have swapped the plots over. So actually, the whole Nine Eyes thing was yeah. the lead plot, and the brother thing was more of a in the background slow burner. Yes. And that could have been revealed as the at the end as here's here's the real nemesis. Yeah, the Nine Lives is more tightly written. I think it makes more sense, and it's there's more scenes with it, and it's explored throughout. Mm. Whereas the Blofeld stuff is sort of oh he, by the way this is an unnecessary plot development that you didn't yeah yeah like it doesn't really it's not explored though is it either they don't well, neither no, of them are really we don't get that. neither of them are really explored enough because they have that meeting in Tokyo two of the representatives don't vote for it <laughs> and then in some throwaway comment we discover that there's been an explosion in South Africa yeah you don't see it again. and it's nothing and it isn't like well, hang on, that was a major plot point for this thing that we're yeah. supposed to care about happening or not happening. And yeah, it's just another one of those, it's really mishandled. Because when we go, when we finally go to wherever it is in Africa, is it in the desert where we find Blofeld's base, he tells them his plot and then Bond just blows the whole thing up. Then he goes back to London, tries to, you know, catch it, fails again, Blofeld. So Bl Blofeld is sort of. As soon as he's introduced himself, he's cocked it up twice <laughs> and completely failed. He has, hasn't he? He has. What? Why would you do that if you're going to try and introduce him as a, an ongoing character and get him on? By the end, he's just sort of pathetic on his knees. Bizarre for me. Bizarre choices. Bizarre script choices. It's the, <laughs> the problem. I want. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know we're being negative. It feels like the, yeah, it, I, it feels like this conversation is really just sort of on a downer because it is because it is so bad. But I, I, it isn't that bad though, is it? It's not. There's. It does. F- okay, I've got my I've got my pages of notes here, and I'm looking for yeah. a good point. But it's just from the poor photo comping that we get when in we're in Bond's flat and he's looking at him. I know, yeah, you can like, see it's really, <laughs> really bad. And then there's Bond and Tanner going down the Thames and there's all this exposition that Tanner's giving him on the boat. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what is all that about? Okay, there's something good. Q Lab, the new Q Lab looks great in all yeah, those yeah. arches. Q's good in And then he injects Bond with the smart blood, which is a little bit of pre-No Time to Die kind of something that they picked up on but then even then we get you know suddenly we're in rome and we've got this awful awful outfit that bond is in at the funeral with these huge terrible sunglasses it's like where did he get them from oh i, I like the jacket though I like the oh jacket. no it's t- it's it's far too tightly oh. fitted and then he's got the the bar between the collar keeping his tie down i mean we're not in a western here come on it's just it's it's not okay. Staged, Hang on, though. Doesn't seem like a real funeral. Though. It is terribly staged. It's one of the that is one of the problem the ongoing problems with this film is it, it is style over substance. You look at it and it looks yeah. amazing. What are they actually trying to convey though? Something yeah. that you could do better elsewhere with a conversation or with a I don't know. Yeah. However, one of the shining lights in this film, we've got to stop and pay homage to Monica Bellucci. For? Hot, 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 hot. My writing just descended into scribbling madness because she burns up the screen. She is an absolute goddamn vision. And she disappears within two scenes. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Because the marketing, remember... We had two Bond girls, and they were sort of both in the marketing given equal billing. The big thing was that, hey guys, we've been a bit progressive here. We've got we've got an older Bond lady, like yeah, but it's Monica Bellucci. It's not. <laughs> she's she's pretty decent, isn't she? She's pretty decent, you know. And then yes, that scene. What? Gosh, please tell me about that scene that where Bond seduces her after her husband's died. Uh, yeah, you know the the bed is not even the bed's not even cold. And already <laughs> they're making it warm again. It's just, it's outrageous. But it it works because she is so good and she carries it. And it's, yeah, you're swept along with it. She's great. She is absolutely great. Another sort of article I read about the film at the time when it was released was this whole thing of Christoph Waltz. Yes, have him in, have him as Bond's brother. But then you reveal that Monica Bellucci is Blofeld. Yes, I've seen that. I hadn't seen that until this last week when it's been at the cinema. I've not heard that theory before. And then... Was that, that was never in consideration, though, was it? Well, it's if it was in consideration or if it's just a, a fanboy's hype dream, I yeah. don't know. But looking back on it, it would have made sense because her husband was within the organisation. He wasn't a leader, but he was a, a footman. Yeah. Why could she not the one at the centre of the web? Yeah, she could have been the main you know, villain. And it would have been very easy for Bond to have mistaken her as just the wife 
and gone gone after and then yeah. to have that as the reveal well, yeah. that would have been amazing yeah. give us a strong evil woman again give us another electric in give us another mayday yes yeah. it's yeah oh great character it would have made more sense for the she she lets bond seduce her at the funeral and make them make him think that she's gonna get killed gonna get popped off because when bond leaves do we assume that she does get killed because there's gonna be more people coming together aren't there why would that you know what i've heard, I've heard people say that i don't know like my original comment of this film being dull i don't care yeah that's yeah. the worst thing about it Terrible. you just don't care if she is killed off or not yeah yeah it's awful and then i mean obviously we've touched upon the uh the meeting scene and then immediately following that when he leaves we get this car chase the empty car chase which is utterly devoid of any sort of thrill or tension so it's just okay i get it it's rome at night but there would be people out you know you go into the center yeah. of london at the middle of night it's full of people it's yeah. just not even, even the, even the stunts that they're doing like when bond is escaping immediately he does an awful j-turn trying to turn the car around you know he's in reverse swings it round, but it just doesn't look thrilling i mean it just it's so poor compared to the john glenn's isn't it and the what they call the, the remy julien staged car stuff where you add tension with a bit of comedy they've done it a bit they've tried to do that bit with the parking meter haven't they that wasn't there some comedy airbag as well yeah yeah which is it's a good gag but it's not done well enough yeah if it was much snappier and quicker that scene it would have been a nice bit of light relief and then we go again but we've even got a bit of a chat with money penny during a chase <laughs> it slows it down doesn't it really and then we're wondering who's in bed with money penny it's that kind of okay what's yeah well that's interesting <laughs> i'm more interested in her than in the car chase yes exactly. yeah of course you are yeah. what's that saying about it it's just terrible and then <laughs> the air switch and i'm not sure if that's good or not and then we suddenly get this auto seatbelt that flies in over him which just have you seen oh which one is it star trek into darkness i think it is and they're there in their chairs and they're suddenly like engage seatbelt mode they press a button and then these automatic seatbelts sort of clink 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 over them right. and it's just the same with this <laughs> he presses the button and this seatbelt automatically comes out and clicks into the right place and throws him out of the car like, I can appreciate he's got an ejector seat, but this auto-parachute attachment, it just... Oh, considering they're trying to go for realism, <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, H Hinks appears then. What do you think of Hinks? Do you think he's a good henchman? I think he's a great henchman. He's underused. I think they should have given him lines rather than made him into a strong, silent... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's sort of... It's been done before. Let's give us yeah. more... Dave Batista, I think, is a really solid actor. Yeah. Professionally, I admire him pers for his personal life as well. I admire him the way he was brought up and his values. I think he's just a terrific guy. And I just wish he had more. The way he's dispatched, it's just it's just a waste of a really what could have been a really good character. You're absolutely right. What what an original character would be is instead of another big mute brute. You could have had a big chatty kind of guy. Yep. You could have made a joke about that, you know, like, oh, I didn't think you would speak or something like that. Completely. The fight is good. The fight is good. 
It's just the the way it ends is a bit. Yes. Again, there's no one on the. They all just sort of go, don't they? All the passengers. It's just oh. quiet. Everyone's can get on with it. Yeah. It's that thing of as soon, you see a couple of them in the background, but as soon as the first punch is pulled, they all disappear. It's yeah. the same with Rome. You know, you get one or two cars, but as soon yeah. as they start with the flamethrowers, everyone disappears, and it's just a barren, yeah. barren set. And suddenly, it loses any sort of yeah. reality or sort of just sort of emotional connection. It's terrible, terrible. Because the Mexico City, you've got you see all those people and you hear them screaming. It's just so much better. Imagine if there was no one there, you lose so much of the impact. Exactly. We then get onto Austria and Mr. White. Watching it again, <laughs> I really think he is sort of god tier character for Bond franchise. Yeah. He's so good. He's just wasted. He's just absolutely wasted. Jesper Christian yeah. is just a really solid actor who brought so much to this, elevating him from what could have been just a bit part in Casino Royale yeah. up to something really menacing. Suicide is such a weak choice for the writers. Yeah. Whoever suggested that, it's just not a good idea. This guy has sort of lived out this far, and only when Bond turns up and sort of promises yeah. to protect his daughter and gives the gun over, he's suddenly going to shoot himself. No, he's fought this long to stay alive. He's going to no. He's not gonna... Yes, absolutely. If you think about what he's done in the other, you know, in Casino and Quantum, he's been built up so well. You are going to bring him back again. He could have been another main battle, couldn't he? As I've said before, if they'd have made him Blofeld. I would have completely believed it because yeah, Mr. White is too much of an obvious code name. Well, I think there were when they didn't have the rights. You were meant to think of him as a possible Blofeld, weren't you? I assume. Yeah, I completely. Or well, maybe number two. Or I don't know. Completely. It's just they didn't. They didn't have the guts to be able to say this is our man. This is Blofeld. Yeah. And then you could have had the much more interesting conflict with Bond of him being in love with Blofeld's daughter. Absolutely. And there you've got all kinds of possibilities for drama and action. Didn't want to go with it. Even if we did the Monica Bellucci thing, where that would be an interesting angle, where Bond f- fell... In, I know it's a bit worse enough, fell in love with the wife of a Spectre agent, and then he he met with Blofeld or whoever, Mr. White, and they sort of there was that tension between them. And then, of course, she turned out to be, oh, no, she's head of it all. You, you know, there's... Not my ideas. No, 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 no. These are, yeah, the, are completely, you know, modern, these modern are all suggestions there, that have come from other sources. But there are, but this is yeah. the thing, there are so many ideas out there that are more appealing than what we've got. And I want, yeah, they don't evolve. I almost want to know the reason why these guys didn't come up with this idea or that they came up with it and decided, no, this is better. I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. And I don't, I don't know anyone who thinks, who thinks it's a good idea? I really don't. Yeah. It's not even. It's not even divisive. It's just no. Everyone doesn't like it, and because I love Christoph Waltz, he's a brilliant actor, and he he's so menacing in in many ways. But it starts off well. The promise of the character is good. I don't mind his sort of long speech and all that. But like I say, he's just beaten so easily yeah. twice, and for what? And then, gosh, well, we, we'll go into it next week, but. I mean that that really must be one of the the lowest points of the franchise for me. The way he is accidentally uh, killed, it's so bad. Let's not. Well, yeah, part of that. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's noticeable in this conversation that we're having that we're talking about every other film except this one. <laughs> we keep, well, yeah, that's it. You are. It's a great we point. We keep yeah. comparing or bringing in other films 
and not focusing on this. And it's, I think that's telling enough that it's just not satisfactory. It's not good enough. The sort of finale is so borrowed off Mission Impossible. Is it the is it Ghost Protocol? I can't remember. It's so similar to it at the end with the in London in an empty building with people dangling. Yep. And I mean, other films we could go into that it that it it's very similar to. Well, I I, I always say Batman Forever and everyone laughs, but it it's so. If you remember at the end of Batman Forever, the Riddler has Robin, Chase Meridian, a.k.a. Nicole Kidman, both tied up. You only have so Which long. Which one are you? What's your choice? Which one do you say? And all yeah. this. And it's the same thing where she's tied up the same and at the top of a building and she's going to drop. And Yeah, I know which one I yeah. prefer. You know what? I haven't seen Batman Forever in a long time. Oh, honestly, Chris, it's so good. And we're talking about another film again, Chris. You see, I'm sorry. Neither, neither of us can keep to the, the film at hand. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to quickly go through all my notes so we can get off of this subject. And we need to talk about Marvel. Right. Well, we're at that point. The oh, clinic in the mountains, which desperately, desperately wants to be Piz Gloria, just yeah, absolutely isn't. As it says in my notes, bored, bored, bored. <laughs> I think this is the point where I walked out of my own yeah I was gonna ask this you is the point where i walked out to get a drink and didn't return for 20 minutes because i come back and suddenly i'm talking about the computer graphics on q's laptop so that's how you know i missed the complete bond and madeline meeting and the airplane crashing through a building and then yeah. suddenly we're in morocco it's got to be said daniel craig in a short sleeve blue polo top is just solid classic bond look you know yeah. i Every time, if he puts that on, I'm there. It's great. And then, of course, we get the obligatory uh, bottle of Heineken. <laughs> Cheers for anyone who's doing the uh, Cheers, yeah. drinking along bingo. And then the whole hidden room, which, again, it's one of those things of does it work? Doesn't it work? Mr. White was looking for Blofeld. But why? Yeah. Was why? But, you know, that's not something that's not explained. And there are these moments of oh, was Madeline actually loved by Mr. White? All those photos on the wall, but it's not really talked about or developed. And then suddenly we're on a train and it's a gorgeous train. It looks marvelous. Yeah, yeah. And there is that wonderfully comic Bond goes up to the uh, train steward and he's like, can you press this for me? Because <laughs> of course, Bond travels everywhere with a tuxedo. Yeah, Why wouldn't yeah. he need it pressed? It then sort of goes out the window because suddenly Madeline's a bit flirty because she's put on a slinky dress. The chain it's just, again, it just flips on a so dime. Cool. Oh no, no. We in between that, in between that, we've got uh, rules. M at the restaurant. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Have you I been? I have been. It was. Yeah years ago before the film came out and i did sit at that table i was really? i was i was oh, taken man. out it was an industry thing a post-production house was yeah. sort of like oh let me uh let us take you to lunch and i was like oh, okay let's go to rules and they were sort of oh why are we going to this old fuddy-duddy sort of restaurant it's like it's good don't worry just go with it and we had a great time and we sat there at the table and it was only later when the film came out and suddenly that's become m's table you can go to the restaurant and say yeah can we sit at M's table and they know what you're talking about? You must go. It's really oh, good. I will. It's really, yeah. really good. And that's like a great little little scene. But it's sort of, and suddenly we're getting into the yeah, yeah. M and Bond story, sort of a bit of them, a bit of M, a bit of, it's good. But then it's ruined by Mr. Hinks. <laughs> 
jumping in and we have the fight on the train which is a really good fight on the train but as we've said before where are the people where's the background artists where are the extras have they all gone to lunch what's happening and it shouldn't be the end of him i pray that they bring him back i don't know how i don't know why i just want more of i just want more of him well, they won't now, will they? I don't think they will now. But they could. Of the course, they could have done in No Time yeah. to Die. They could. They could have him brought... turning up in No Time to Die would have been a really nice touch. That would have been really, really good. Yeah. And then they're at this train station in the middle of Bumblefoot nowhere. <laughs> they're on their own. This might be a long wait. It's like mm, no shit. <laughs> there is no one here. Yeah. And you know what? They would have had more luggage. Both of them. Yeah, they would. Bond had a tux and a couple of other suits and whatever else, and she had that dress and, you know, neither of them travel light. It would have been more. And then if we're going to get really pedantic, because why not if we're laying into this film, being a petrol head, he would not have been able to tell that that was a 1948 Rolls-Royce Wraith from that distance, because by that point in time, the bodywork was not standard, and you would not have been able to tell the year just from how it looked. Great knowledge. Just terrible. Having said that, the car does look fabulous, and it is great to have a Rolls Royce yeah, back does. in. And then you get to the crater base. The kartoffel, what is it called? The, the, it's a kartoffel salad. <laughs> <laughs> the meteor. The... Yeah, yeah. No, it just doesn't... <laughs> it's no devil's breath, is it? It's no, it's not. And it's again, it's that thing of, it, it looks good, but it doesn't look great. It's yeah. kind of like, okay, yeah. you've put it inside a crater. It's not a hollowed-out volcano, but it's... Like, uh, okay. Yeah. And just sort of this over stylized, oh, we'd be delighted if you joined him for drinks at four o'clock. I was like, oh, okay, yes, fabulous. And yeah, it's a bit dark. It is a bit. And then having the photos in their rooms trying to antagonize them a little bit more. And all of this thing about Blofeld trying to make it personal, it doesn't make him sinister, it makes him weak because it shows that he's Mm. that sort of emotionally, I need to have this sort of one-upmanship on it's like no that's that's not a strength that's a weakness that's not a it's a bad character trait and then of course when they're walking around all of these people on the screens flash gordon isn't it but then the lights go out and then there's this synchronized standing up yeah they're all silent really bad a-level drama performance i can remember doing this sort of this sort of group movement routine and being like oh yeah this looks really good when it's on stage it's like mm, yeah but not on cinema screens it really doesn't mm, you know yeah. how many times did they rehearse that when they're absolutely yeah yeah it is isn't it, it is. what do you think of the i said turn it off and all that He's stuff like, what, what, i don't get it i don't know what's, why would he tell him to turn it off because you know you know his father you know her father's dead and yeah. This is actually Bond saying, I'm going to protect her. You can trust me. It's actually helping him. Where's the negativity? I can't see it. <laughs> Such a weird Just scene. really, really weird. And then the torture scene. And the action. What did you, oh, the torture scene. What yeah, did you torture, think yeah, of the torture yeah. scene? It's almost verging into a pastiche of Bond films with the cat appearing, like the origin story. It's really pe- horrible to watch, isn't it? I think it's too... How can he recover from what's just happened to him instantly? And What has happened to him? Has he had an injection in his brain, but he's fine? I don't... What was the point of it, then, if it didn't work? Well, no, it's... Is it, like, gradually... What is it? I can't remember now. Gradually getting bits of his body worn down and there's going to be more of it? I can't... Well, yeah, I'm sure that uh, Blofeld says there's this whole thing of wearing wearing you down and and just finding all of your pressure points and 
Yeah, it's very Tomorrow Never Dies. It is in that regard. We don't see it. It is very Tomorrow Never Dies in that regard. (laughs) But it also is very much Colonel Sun. There's the torture scene in there where he says, I'm not going to do this to try and get information from you. I'm going to do this for pleasure and scientific interest. You know, how much torture can a man bear just by probing? Yeah. Just by these pressure points, these very delicate pressure points. And that's what you get with this scene. He's in the chair with these drills that are just going into very specific places. It's horrible. It is horrible. And there's more, but I'd say there's more torture from the noise of the drill, you know. Yeah. Everyone has this fear of the dentist and the drill. Yeah. The sound of that (laughs) drill just goes through you. You know, actually him getting drilled into and that sort of thing. You know Bond's had worse. I I do think it's unpleasant, and so it does work in that sense. I mean, it's all a bit. Sorry, James, I can't hear you. Yeah, and all this it's stuff. too light. It's what, too. Uh, it's too stagey again. You wouldn't. Yeah, and then once he does throw. Oh no, it's not him, isn't it? It's uh, it's Madeline when she throws the watch and it explodes. Well, after she said "I love you," I mean, what's sorry? Where, where, where that'll come from? Yeah. And then the whole yeah. thing is too much of an easy escape. Is it? What did you? What did you oh. think of all of that? It's well, I again on Twitter this week. I've heard the one shot in the film might have been good. From the moment he that blows up and his escape from you know the mm-hmm. the complex ending with the explosion at the end of the one shot, and I've also heard someone said it wouldn't it be great if instead of just watch this explosion, they just turn and watch it. Like it'd be great if they were kissing or they they had a kiss as that was happening or something. That'd be great because he's just saved, he saved her, you know, and he's a hero. That and would be great. It's so easy to, again. The honest trailer. It's like the action is like playing Goldeneye on Agent Difficulty. (laughs) (laughs) Miles out, all these guys just easily dead. No, there is, it's true, isn't there? There's no jeopardy in any of that. We could have had a bit of a fight with the guy on the way out. There is that one, the last shot at the end, I think, where they're sort of heading towards the gate and he he shoots the two on the little buggy and then he pulls out the holster, the the stock of the gun and sort of actually sort of stops and carefully takes aim at the guy in the distance. He's sort of like, okay, this is actually requiring some skill rather than just... Oh, yeah. Moving on and moving on. And then there's a helicopter nice there, yeah. isn't it? And it is actually this is this is a good little point that I noticed on the the rewatch just now. As they're ex- as the buildings are exploding, you can see two cars driving away. In the yes, action. yes, I like that. Yeah, and it's sort of like oh, okay, that's that's a nice touch. Blofeld can't be dead. We know that, but it, it it's nice to just give us that little possibility. Right, we wrapping this up now, Chris. The finale. <laughs> I know we've discussed a bit of it, but what, what do you think about the, the M and C confrontation? I think it's it's built up very nicely, and then it's over too quickly. Their whole thing of this is what M stands for, and this is what C stands for, and then there's a fist fight, and you think, oh, okay, these two are really going to go at it, but actually, it's there's like one or two punches, and then he's thrown through the glass and falls yeah. to his death, and you're like, oh, 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 oh okay, because that could have been a really good dual fight custom between yeah. Bond and Blofeld and M and C and yeah. just having that duality like, like Jinx Jinx and Frost <laughs> no I mean, we laugh but yeah I'll take it <laughs> if it's going to make it better I'll take it it just oh. Blofeld again useless just crashes the, you know and lands on the Westminster Bridge is it the Westminster, it is Westminster Bridge, Bridge. 
I don't I don't yeah. blame him for that. That's not his fault. That's having a poor pilot. I would question Bond's yes. shooting skills <laughs> at <laughs> night on a boat bouncing on the Thames on a helicopter in the air bouncing around as well. He okay, yeah. he gets off several shots, but I don't know. Is he really gonna be able to bring it down just with the one hit? It would have been more realistic if several of the bullets had hit the aeroprep, the uh, helicopter, and that would have yeah, been yeah. just as the one. There is a good little when MI6 blows up and the boat comes out of the wreckage. I'm sure you get the Bond theme kick in, and I thought, oh yeah, that works. But that's the only time I think I've felt that in the film, and it's right at the end. Yeah, there's not, there's not much Bond theme, no. is there? For Sort of a, a film we're beyond all the whole who's not become Bond yet, or he's not quite fully Bond. He is, he is now, isn't he? No, come on. No, no excuse not to be using yeah. it more. So the, the bit on the bridge, please just, what are your thoughts on this? And Again, I think it's an opportunity wasted, apart from the fact that how on earth did all of those police turn up so quickly? And again, <laughs> deserted London. Yeah, we know it's nothing like that, don't we? Westminster Bridge is permanently busy. <laughs> yeah, the MI6 building, the walk down there, yep, it's packed. Absolutely. I don't mind that he doesn't shoot him and that he throws the gun away. No, and that he's, no. It's like that's his... It's a bit calm, though. It is a little bit of a, you know, a casual toss, but a casual toss has been a thing throughout the film from the light fitting at the beginning all the way yeah. through. It's. I just think there's sort of a real visual opportunity here. We're on Westminster Bridge. Blofeld is kneeling down. Bond is towering above him. In the background, we could have had a really strong shot of Bond, Big Ben, little hark back yes. to George Lazenby and his... Yeah. I know it was a stills shoot, but him with Big Ben in the background. Yes. Yeah, you know, that visual is really strong, and it just doesn't happen. And it's thrown away. And I like Blofeld's scar because he got that from the previous explosion, but it just looks, a, I don't know, it's just not carried well. And then it's done, and we fade to black, and we get the little epilogue, one might say, of Bond and Madeline in the DB5 driving off into the sunset. Yeah, which was clearly intended to be the end of, pretty much the end of Daniel Craig's run, wasn't it? Absolutely, sure. absolutely. And they had to push it that little bit further, as we will do next week. <laughs> Finish it. Finish it. Out of bullet. Besides, I've got something better to do. Really
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.